Yeah, that's what I feel like a Royals uh, baseball game and going to a car dealership. You're there forever. You don't know why. And afterward, you need a shower. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I'm your host, Marcus Mead. And joining me, as always, a man so depraved, so so sick so disgusting he's seen the box office flop mcgruber more than 20 times my brother mike hey that, that is a classic film and we're going to look back and we're going to say hey citizen kane you know raging bull mcgruber you know that's, <laughs> that's how it's going to be i love i love how you call it a film because films it's are not a movie it's a film it's not a movie it's a film right and i believe I, and it got a standing ovation at con and so. damn it i want a sequel is what i want everybody <laughs> does who doesn't <laughs> Who doesn't want a sequel to that uh, masterpiece? Um, but this week, we'll tackle the woeful performance of the Royals last week. For those of you who don't know, who haven't been paying attention, the Royals were very bad last week. And as a result, we want to you know kind of bring the mood up most of the time. So we're going to talk about funny things like McGruber and some other things. But we will still have to talk about the week last week because it was real bad. Uh, we'll take a deep look uh, at the prospects at Northwest Arkansas, where Mike and I took a trip this week to, to get a live look at some of them. And we'll preview the week ahead so that we can hopefully see sunnier times, though, if we're being honest with ourselves, uh, it, things may not get any better. Um, but first, we want to thank all of those who've subscribed to Royals Weekly so far. It's a great help to the show. It helps move us up the rankings when someone searches for a Royals podcast. I don't know that anyone is searching for a Royals anything. The way the team is playing right now, no. but maybe you fell into a coma back in April. Maybe you just now woke up and you're like, I need to check in to see how my favorite team is doing. Let me find a Royals podcast. If you do that, if you've been in a coma, you actually want to hear about the Royals and you look for a podcast now, you will find Royals Weekly near the top of the list. Thanks to the people who have subscribed, rated and reviewed so far. We don't have any new reviews this week, but we did get a listener question from one of our favorite people in the world, John Lee Pettimore on Twitter. He asks, is there anything left to say about Dozier? How has he gone from a college shortstop to Billy Butler in the field? Is it possible COVID <laughs> is still affecting him? <laughs> oh. This is a question that I don't know if it, I think it's serious and not serious. JLP, like, you, you kill me, my man. <laughs> you kill me every uh, time. I, I got to talk to him tomorrow, too. But uh, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think I think the big thing with Dozier what our expectations have changed because he got a gigantic contract. All right. You got to keep that in mind. Our expectations for Dozier have changed. He had one good year. He has a, a large amount of money now, but also I think he's really struggling to adjust to a new style of pitching that is in vogue in major league baseball. People are challenging with more and more stuff up in the zone and his swing has not adjusted to meet that. And then as far as defensively go, why he's Billy Butler defensively now. Now, nobody thought he was going to be a shortstop in Major League Baseball. He played shortstop at Stephen F. Austin, for those of you that don't know. But they thought, oh, okay, well, he's going to make a transition to third, where he should be a very competent third baseman. And he's gone downhill as a third baseman. And I don't know that he's had enough work in the outfield to become a competent, competent out there. Right now, his defensive future looks like first base, and that's sad. First base or DH, yeah. I mean, I think the DH was the future I was imagining for him because 
the Royals are really invested in having a good outfield defense, being that they have such a huge outfield at Kauffman Stadium. He cannot factor into that. He is not any good at any outfield position. Um, he's very bad at third so far this year. I don't think it's helped moving him around the diamond all the time. I think so, sometimes the Royals think we'll get the most out of value out of a guy by making him very versatile as a defender, and then they actually hurt his ability to gain competence at any one position. I think they've done that a little bit to Dozier. I think he'd be a slightly better third baseman if they just left him at third or be a slightly better left or right fielder if they just left him there and let him experience in those positions. But in terms of how the bat's working, or rather not working, I think you're absolutely right. I think he's struggling with high fastballs, which now teams are very, uh, pitchers are much more likely to throw these days. And I think that the expectations and sort of all the sputtering play mind games with him. I think he has some trouble sort of rebounding if he's having a difficult stretch. And we say, okay, he's got a good approach. It actually wouldn't surprise me to see them stick with him and for him to like get hot at some point to learn to stay away from those high fastballs and to start sort of hitting the ball well, even this season. And it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up having better seasons moving forward. But right now, it definitely looks like darkness and despair for him because one, they gave him a contract they now can't get out of. And two, he's just not hitting. There's seemingly nothing he can do to put the ball in play in the way that he used to, or the way he did in that hot stretch in 2019. I think you have to stick him in the outfield and let him become as good in the outfield as he can, because you're so thin in the outfield as it is. If he can become even below average in right or even left, once Benintendi has gone, or if you trade away Benintendi, you'll have an open. I mean, honestly, you probably want him in left um, because his arm plays up a little bit in left field. Uh, you just, that's usually where you've got shortstops and thing to play further out, but I would say stick him in the outfield, let him get it as good as he can get defensively and see if the bat can turn around. That's your best hope for that is your best hope. That is your best hope, but you may end up eating that contract because if the offense doesn't turn around, it's not good enough to profile in left, right, third, first, or DH. There is no defensive value beyond that. And if the bat doesn't carry him, he cannot profile at any of those other positions. So they really sort of stuck themselves into a corner here. Normally the Royals make decisions knowing that like the worst case scenario is still a player who could be viable as like a bench player, a fourth outfielder, that kind of thing. They love guys who play defense because reliever, right? Because even their floor, it, it means like if they give them big contracts, that money's not going completely to waste. That person might end up having some value in some way. But if Dozier doesn't hit, that money is literally going completely to waste. He has no other value besides his value with the bat at this point. And unless they can sort of get him in the outfield permanently, have him train constantly there, and he becomes like a maybe an average left fielder, unless you can get to that point, then really he has no value as a defender. And it's got to be uh, at the plate where he does something for the team moving forward. I'm a little bit worried that that contract is just going to be dead money. As always, we'll start with the roster news from last week. There wasn't as much as typically there is. Uh, the big news, I guess, is that Adalberto Mondesi was officially placed on the 10-day IL again. We started last week's episode mentioning that he got hurt the night before, but they hadn't actually placed him anywhere. We weren't sure what exactly would happen. Turns out it's his oblique, not the same one he got hurt last time, a different oblique. You only got two. The other so one. So the other one. <laughs> Here's Somehow the question. he has now managed to hurt both. Who is doing this guy's core workout? Come on, Royals. <laughs> Shit. Uh, can we get like a stretching video on YouTube or something? Yeah. Come on. Uh, yeah. 
two obliques hurt in one season. Don't know if it's compensating for one and hurting the other. Don't know if it has, you know, a lot of times when you're talking about these muscle injuries, you're talking about one, you're compensating for one muscle injury. You get another one hurt. Maybe it was his hamstring and somehow it hurt his, his oblique. I don't know. I just know the dude's got some weak obliques. <laughs> weak <laughs> obliques. Soft in the oblique, bro. Let's yeah, go. come on, bro. Would you skip oblique day? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's rough for Mondesi, rough for the fans. I don't, you know, I don't blame him. I know some people are out there, like, just mad at him or something. Like, he went out there and hurt his oblique on purpose or like something. Like, he's soft or um, something. This isn't is well, a guy being soft. These are professional athletes. We promise. Yeah, that. come on. That's ridiculous. Uh, nobody wants to be out there making money more than Alberto Mondesi, because that's what he's doing right now, costing himself a whole lot of money. And so... Yeah, uh, sad to see him not in. He is really their best player at this point, or looks like it in the brief glimpses we get of him playing. But he's going to be out for quite a while. He's on the 10-day injured list, but this is not going to be a 10-day injury. This is going to be another month-long, six-week-long injury. And we'll see if he makes it back in time to play the last 30 games of the season or so. Well, and there's the question I saw somebody put on Twitter that if he takes as long for this one as he did the first one, that would put him coming back, his first game back at the 145th game of the year. Yeah, is that was from worth, Sam Mellinger, I think. Is it uh, worth Kansas playing? Star. Is it worth putting him back in for those games? Or do you just say, we're, we're selling on this one, we'll start him up again next year? At this point, I think if you're back with you know 20 games left to play, you just play him because what's the downside? Your Mondesi he gets hurt. played all year. <laughs> well, yeah, he gets hurt, but what? I mean, he hasn't been one who's like, well, I've been getting UCL injuries, ACL injuries, that sort of thing. Maybe he gets hurt and that hurts his offseason a little bit. But I think at that point, they're going to be like, we haven't seen anything from you this year. We just want you to play. And he's going to be like, I just want to play. And so I think they'll have him play for the last 20 games if he comes back at that point. In a corresponding move, Mike predicted this would happen. The Royals recalled Ryan O'Hearn. He was scorching hot in AAA. We, he, Mike was like, okay, so we're probably going to see Ryan O'Hearn and all the other Ryans and all the 4A players we have. Ryan O'Hearn was the first one to come up. Uh, he actually, I think, hit a home run in his first game two up, home runs. I think. Yeah, in that home run his first series. game back up, then hit another one, I think. Looked like, oh, maybe he's going to be hot again. It was the old, whole old script for O'Hearn, you know, like get hot for a second, a day. And then everybody loses their mind. And then it was like, oh, no, it's, it's just Ryan O'Hearn. And so, yeah, he's doing O'Hearn things again. Nothing nothing too uh, remarkable to write about there. But, yeah, Mike, any thoughts on what Ryan O'Hearn's going to do for this roster? <laughs> I, I don't expect I feel him. weird asking that question. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't expect him to do much more than Ryan O'Hearn things. I, I think we realize at this point that Ryan O'Hearn is what we call a 4A player. That is somebody who is really good in AAA, but not quite good enough for Major League Baseball. Although, sadly, right now, his below-average offensive output is something for this offense because their offense has been so bad. hes I mean, he's hitting fourth and fifth for this offense right now. He uh, went from hitting cleanup at Omaha to hitting cleanup in Kansas City. That tells you where their offense is right now. When yeah. your triple-A cleanup hitter is good enough to be your major league cleanup hitter, you're in trouble. Yeah, that's not good. The Royals also did something that everybody was kind of expecting after his rough start in the major leagues. They sent down Jackson Kowar. It's a move that I completely understand uh, because he just wasn't cutting it at the major league level. The nerves looked very obvious. They mentioned some mechanical things that they thought he needed to work on, specifically with his extension. And I've talked about extension a little bit before with Jackson Kowar. 
if, if you don't know, extension is literally how far you reach out and let go of the baseball from the rubber. And what their data seemed to be telling them is that his extension is different based on the different pitches he throws, which means his release point is different based on the different pitches he throws. If you think mechanically, if, you're, if your foot lands a particular place when you're pitching and your arm extends to a particular place, to a particular distance, and you let go of the ball, if your foot lands a different spot and your arm's letting go to a different spot, it looks different to hitters. And so what the major league team seemed to think is the fact that he wasn't consistently getting consistent extension on all of his pitches. So like when he throws his changeup, it's the same length as his fastball, as his curveball and all that stuff. They seem to think that because that was the case, hitters must be picking up on these pitches better than they might otherwise. It's a concept known as tunneling in the pitching world, where you want to sort of throw all of your pitches from the same release point so that they all look the same coming out of the pitcher's hand. The other big thing with a mechanical change like that is a lot of people think if you can get the same uh, release point, you can get the same uh, foot down in the same spot, that your command can be better with all those pitches. So. You know, not only is it more deceptive to hitters, but it also means you probably are going to fill up the strike zone more. And that's certainly something that he needed to do more of at the major league level. He went down and started, I think, today for he the did okay today. Chasers. He did pretty well today. Looked he didn't more pitch like a lot of innings because they're they're controlling the amount of innings he has. But yeah, which is you're going to see a lot of weird things innings wise with the prospects to sort of conserve them so they might be able to go through the entire season and contribute at the major league level at some point. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him back up before too long, especially if he does some uh, good work down in Omaha. If they feel like his extension numbers even out, maybe he'll be a little more deceptive coming back up, have a little better command. And maybe it'll just be a second time through. He's a little less nervy, does a better job locating pitches because that's really what it was. I think he looked like he was about to shake right off the mound most of the time he was so nervous. And so hopefully Coar can find his stuff again down in Omaha, find his confidence again, come back and be ready to start uh, getting major league hitters out. The Royals also reinstated Danny Duffy from the injured list. Tough man. Uh, got a, sent a pitcher down, got a pitcher back. <laughs> kind of like a take a pitcher, leave a pitcher kind of a thing. <laughs> so they got Duffy back from the IL, which is great news for the team. And he came back really throwing very similar to how he did uh, before. I think they've, they've announced now that he's not going to start every single game he'll be a reliever at times he'll be a starter at times he'll sort of go back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen i think with with the idea being that that will conserve his innings and allow him to sort of pitch more throughout the entire season uh the first thing that i thought was showcasing that danny duffy can be a starter or a reliever so that they can trade him that was the first thing i thought of when they announced that oh yeah i put out on twitter like here's my conspiracy theory you ready for this (laughs) they're doing this so that Danny Duffy can conserve innings. And thus when they trade him, they can say, Hey, he's got a hundred innings left in his arm, or he's got 80 innings left in his arm instead of he's got 30 innings left in his arm or 50 innings left in his arm. I think this is a way of saying like, we're only going to have him throw some innings for us, showcase them and then trade them. Now that said, he did hit his 10 years of service time during this last week. And as a result, he's what's called a 10, five player, which means he can actually veto any trade that they would do for him. And you get the sense that Duffy, who supposedly loves the Royals, might veto a trade away from the team. Um, But we'll see. That's all stuff for the future. Uh, I definitely think that they're going to be getting calls about Duffy. He's just been too effective for teams not to be interested in a pitcher 
who can be effective and who, because he was on the IL, doesn't have a ton of innings on his arm this year, but we know can throw 150 innings in a season. And he's a 32 years old or something like that. So you're not too worried about like, oh, he's a young prospect. We're going to hurt. Let's just have him pitch, basically. The Royals, in order to fill many innings, have si- signed a few minor league free agents that I won't get into until they become relevant and come. But they have signed a few relief pitchers, I think a shortstop and a third baseman to minor league contracts. These are guys who are just going to fill spots and maybe come up if they really need somebody the way Anthony Swarzak did. But I'm not going to mention them until they become relevant to the major league team. Odds are they might just be filler down in the minor league levels, guys getting a shot. But hey, we have turned minor league free agents into gold in the past. Jake Brents was a minor league free, free agent last year. Greg Barlow or Greg Bar. I keep calling Scott Barlow Greg Barlow. Does anyone know a Greg Barlow? Where am I getting this name from? I, is he famous? Is Greg Barlow a famous person? I don't I, know. I have no idea. He's probably Scott's dad. Barry wears jeans probably. shorts all the time. Every time I talk about Scott Barlow to Mike, I call him Greg Barlow. I'm, I'm convinced that I've known a Greg Barlow in a past life. Maybe um, it was your name in a past life, man. Maybe you're Greg I, Barlow. I was Greg Barlow. Um, yeah. So we've done a great job with minor league free agent signings before. Maybe we'll find something uh, interesting or valuable this time around. But I'm not going to talk about those guys until we really need to. Okay. Let's talk about the actual baseball that was played. As difficult as it was to watch, let's talk about it briefly at least. The Royals went one and five last week. That brings their overall record to 33 and 43. That's 11 and a half games back in the AL Central and tied for dead last. They're in a three way tie for last in the AL Central. That's tied with the Twins and the Tigers uh, at this point. They lost two games to the Yankees in that series, three game series in New York. They were swept. This was the tough one to take. They were swept by the lowly Texas Rangers in Arlington, a team that Mike and I said looked like they were trying to tank this season. On last week's episode, we said the Rangers are so bad, they look like they're tanking and the Royals got swept by them. The funny thing is (laughs) nobody accuses the Royals of tanking. They actually think that the Royals are trying as hard as they can to win. They're just losing to teams like the Rangers and the Tigers. We get swept and by the, the Rangers Tigers. and the Tigers. Like it's freaking like another oh. day at work. Damn. You would have. Yeah. It's it's, it was rough this week. And the, the stuff I was seeing online was just like, Ed Le- I'm out on the ledge type stuff with the Royals. Yeah. Like yeah. people were getting very despondent, which I understand. And it's weird because the Royals are roughly where we thought they might be. Maybe a little bit worse than we thought they would be. But it's the way that they've gotten there that's really hurting people. It's these yeah. long losing streaks that just and the uncompetitive play of watching them make mistake after mistake after mistake. I, I wrote in the rundown. It's really, really hard to imagine at this point that the Royals had a winning record at one point. It's hard to sort of look at this team and say, hey, there was a time when we thought, oh, man, they look pretty good. They look like a decent baseball team. Uh, every time the Royals get down by like six runs in the first three innings, David Lesky on Twitter comes out and says, Hey, this game's starting like every other game <laughs> because <laughs> or something, I'm paraphrasing. It's something like that, but it's exactly right. Like, I mean, could there be a formula for how this team loses that is more consistent? My God, like we're going to get down by five or six in the first three innings and we're never going to make it back. That's <laughs> that's the Royals 2021 Royals, right? That's there. right. The only other thing I've seen this consistent is when a team has a terrible bullpen and they always like 
end up blowing it in the seventh, eighth, or ninth. You know, like that that's sort of a consistent thing you see from some teams. I've never seen a team like this that consistently gets down in the first, second, or third inning and just never makes it back. It makes for hard watching because you're watching a team in the fourth inning you know will not win. And so I imagine their ratings aren't doing great this year, but we'll see as we sort of move forward what that continues to look like. We did have to look for strong performances this week. That was a tough one. I chose Carlos Santana. And then I looked at his numbers. I'm like, man, these aren't even very good. Uh, (laughs) Santana was four for 19 with one home run, two doubles, five walks and four strikeouts this week. Pretty good. Not great. Uh, you know, he did okay. Nobody was great. (laughs) So nobody was great. There were no great performances. This was a decent performance from Santana who, you know, has frankly been without him. Could you imagine what this team would be like without him? Oh my gosh. Uh, I mean, we'd be last in the, I mean, we'd be dead last in major league baseball and we would be Ryan O'Hearn would be starting every single day at first base. And so, yeah, yeah. Ryan McGroom would be getting consistent at bats. I guess I'll say thank you, Carlos Santana. Yes, you're keeping us from the number one overall pick the f- next year, but you're also making at least some of the games watchable. So that's great. Uh, Mike, who was your strong performance for the week? Uh, I, went, I went with old Duff man, Danny Duffy. Uh, he, we got to see him come back. Three innings pitched this week. He didn't go up any earned runs. Three walks and five strikeouts. That first outing, he went two innings, and he did get in a little bit of trouble. Bases loaded in that second inning, but he was able to work out of it. The the strong point to me was that he looked a lot like the Danny Duffy that was there before uh, he got hurt. So the fastball looked like it had about the same velocity. He was really moving pitches a lot, which was good to see. That was kind of the the pitch the pitch mix uh, and the movement uh, the the uh, location was so good before he got hurt. That was what was really driving him forward. It's good to see that again. So uh, Danny Duffy, a little bit of inspiration there, and hopefully we can continue to get strong stuff out of him, either from on the days that he's starting or the days he's coming out of the pen. Yeah, it just dawned on me that Duffy really kind of looks like if Mike Miner threw harder, you Mm -hmm. know, at this point, which is like a really big compliment in my mind, right? Because Miner mixes his pitches really well, locates those secondary pitches really well, but doesn't throw harder than like 92, 93. Most of the time Duffy will come out and run a fastball up at 95 from the left side. And, you know, that'll be a little bit more of an effective weapon for him. And as a result, he's been very effective this season. And it was great to see him come back, have the same level of velocity he had before he went, before he went on the IL and just basically look like the same pitcher minus a little bit of command, but that's to be expected as you're coming off the IL. So it was great to see uh, him get back to his level of pitching in part because that makes him more valuable as a trade piece. And just because I like to see Danny Duffy have success and Hey, one pitcher who could be successful, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not satisfied with it, but at this point it's nice to see. Yeah. I'll take anything, nice to see. man. The person I'm going to focus on struggling this week is somebody that has been garnering a lot of attention from Royals fans and from myself and others. Uh, and that's Cal Eldred. Cal Eldred, if you don't know, is the Royals pitching coach. He is not a player. But the collective ineptitude of the starting rotation places Eldred squarely on the hot seat in my mind. I think Cal Eldred, I, I don't like advocating for someone losing his job because that seems heartless and mean, but Cal Eldred going to be all right. Okay. He played in the majors <laughs> for a long time. He's made a ton of money. He's fine. But the Royals pitching staff is not fine. They are bad. And the problem is you're seeing guys who should be taking a step forward, taking s- a step or multiple steps backward. Brad Keller has taken multiple steps backward. 
Brady Singer looks like he has not taken a step forward and has maybe taken a step backward, though his peripheral numbers are a little better than his overall numbers. His overall numbers aren't very good. And then, you know, Chris Bubich stepped back. You know, Lynch and Coar came up and looked like they weren't ready to pitch at the major league level, even though in AAA they looked very much ready to pitch, uh, or, or Lynn Lynch's case in spring training. Every time you see pitchers go out there under Cal Eldred, they look like they don't have a plan and they look like they don't understand the way hitters are going to try to approach them. And that's the pitching coach's job. Yeah, that's what I see as I see two things as a pitching coach's job. Number one, are you preparing them on a daily basis to make a start? Right. And that includes the things that you were just talking about. How are these hit? What are these hitters looking for when they're facing me? You know, how am I doing my literal like game prep before a game so that I'm ready pitch one and I don't get jacked in the first inning? All that stuff. That's a big part of a pitching coach. Right. The other thing that I see is giving the identity to that rotation. Now, I'm going to use a, a, a franchise and a team that I hate, but the St. Louis Cardinals. When Dave Duncan was a pitching coach there, you knew exactly what his starting pitching staff was going to emphasize. They were not going to walk people, okay? No matter what pitcher was out there that day or no matter what they were doing, they were going to have an identity, right? What is ours? That we walk a lot of people? Yeah, that we don't that's have- not the identity I want that we don't allow pitchers to have fourth pitches or even third pitches in some cases. Like, I don't know what the Royals are as a starting rotation. They need an identity. Are we a strikeout staff? Are we a, a ground ball? Or are we going to have pitchers that are not walking guys? Are we going to have ground ball? Do they play to their defense? What, what, are we, what are we doing with Cal Eldred? And the other thing that I think has been the thing that stood out the most is they come into games like they aren't prepared, plain and simple. And that's a big part of your job, dude. Yeah. And the numbers coming out of this pitching staff, especially in terms of how many batters they walk, is just a complete indictment of his performance as the pitching coach. They are the third, the ones that I saw most recently, they give up the third most walks of any team. They throw the second or first fewest first pitch strikes. It's just, it's a problem of throwing strikes for this pitching staff right now. And you would think that Cal Eldred, would be the, the person who that's his job. It's your job to make sure that your pitchers throw strikes. And right now it is killing the rest of the team. The, if somebody said to me, like, what's the number one issue? It's the fact that the starting rotation cannot throw strikes, which means they cannot go deep into games, which means the relief or the bullpen is stretched so thin that it's just not working. They're, they're giving up tons of runs as a result of this. Yes. The offense is also a problem, but this pitching staff, which could be much better than it is, and the Royals have been counting on it being much better than it is, is so bad right now. And I think that means that there's got to be a change at pitching coach. And the other thing is you have to think about what is on the line here. We've got a young crop of pitchers that's coming up that have got to pan out. You can't gamble on them. You ha- they have to work. The 2008 draft class has to work out for you pitching-wise, or you're not a competitive team for the next 10 years. Um, that's 2018. Yes. That's what I said. Did I say that? Okay. 2008, so 2008 which is oh, <laughs> that's a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, 2018 class. They've got to work out. And if you have confidence that Cal Eldred is going to be that guy, then I don't have confidence in you. All right. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That, that's huge too. Yeah. You are putting a very valuable thing, a very sort of, it's like you're giving Cal Eldred all this, the keys to this very important car. And I'm like, 
Don't give him the keys. He's been He's drinking drunk. all night. He's drunk. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, just uh, I don't know that he's the person to really to drive that car for the Royals. You know, Tony LaRusso would give him the keys. <laughs> oh, that's a, I oh, love that shot, though. Oh. LaRusso uh, got LaRusso. That's right. Uh, Mike, you wanted to talk about the offense struggling, which oh, is another. Boy. Yeah, broad, I, did, but very I, couldn't, important. I couldn't pick a single player because. They, so many of them are struggling and it felt like I'd be picking on people. So I just said the offense is struggling bad. Uh, we scored 2.8 runs per game this week. That's not going to be enough to win you games in major league baseball. Very often we had a batting average of two Oh six. That's very bad in case, you know, that's very, that's flirting with the Mendoza line, which is not good. The worst thing we had an OPS of five seventy five which is 28th out of 30th in Major League Baseball. The two teams that are worse than us, you may wonder, the Orioles and the Rockies. Not two bright shining stars of franchises right now. Okay? So we are not doing good offensively. And the reason why is when you rely on three or four guys to carry your offense, you're going to have weeks that are garbage, especially when you're going through injuries to Benintendi, injuries to Mondesi, and then all it takes is one guy, two guys being ineffective for a week, and boom, you don't score any runs. You're relying on Hanser Alberto and Kelvin Gutierrez to give you offense, and Michael A. Taylor and Ryan O'Hearn and other people who just aren't going to help you offensively. Right. Nicky Lopez right now, uh, Royals Farm Report put up something today. Is he the only offensive guy that's taken a step forward this year? I think he probably is, and that's sad. That is very sad. I think that's absolutely right. They're relying on three or four guys. And you might ask, like, well, if you're if you're calling for Cal Eldridge's job, how come you're not calling for Terry Bradshaw's job? How come you're not calling for the Royals hitting coach job? And the reason is I blame the offense on roster construction. They just don't have like none of the guys Mike listed are good hitters. It's not that yeah. like he's squandering good hitters, that guys who have proven track records aren't hitting. Now Jorge Soler and Hunter Dozier are two guys who have some track record and aren't hitting, and maybe they need to answer for that. But I don't think this offense is ineffective because they don't have a game plan or because of X, Y, Z. I think they're ineffective because they don't have good hitters. <laughs> and, you know, you have three or four and two of them are injured. You know, you're really in big trouble. That's a roster construction issue. That's on Dayton Moore more than anybody. And really, as we look back at this season and we say, what happened? Even at this point, we would say, how on earth did you put so many eggs in the Adalberto Mondesi staying healthy basket? Because he's never healthy. And now it looks like, boy, it looks like the Royals were relying completely on him to be healthy and carry this offense. Well, and, and that leads me right into my theme for the week here. The Royals are not very deep um, anywhere, really. If you look at the offense... If, if at the beginning you looked at the offense, the lineup that we were going to have, you could squint a little bit and say, oh, that's a pretty good lineup, right? But if all it takes to destroy your lineup is removing a guy who's always injured, and then you lose one or two others, you go, hey, wait, we actually don't have anybody to come up and fill in for these guys. We don't have any way to spit and paste this thing together so that they can score runs. Well, then your lineup wasn't very deep to begin with, okay? We know the starting rotation isn't very deep. Uh, the bullpen isn't deep, though it's been somewhat effective. Um, you know, we're, we're bringing up Swarzak. How deep are you if you're bringing up Swarzak? That's my my thought, right? So uh, it, we're just not very deep overall. Injuries have really hurt this team. I, I'm not going to say that they haven't because they, they truly have, but you weren't very deep to begin with, and then blammo, 
you got injured like crazy. Not good. Well, honestly, like injury-wise, what they're really going through is this roughly the same amount of injuries as the average major league team. The problem is they can't handle it, right? Like they don't, they don't have, have the depth, depth to of handle. <laughs> no, no. And that's another roster construction issue, but it's also a willingness to play certain players issue. Like if if they weren't trying to position themselves for the future, if they were actually trying to compete this season, Jorge Soler will, would not have received as many plate appearances as he has. Hunter Dozier would not have received as many plate appearances as he has. They'd be playing guys like Edward Olivares. They would have given Emmanuel Rivera a shot by now. Instead of Swarzak, they would have brought up Richard Lovelady or Grant Gavin, these relievers who in Omaha have had a lot of success. They would be doing stuff like that instead of trying to count on you know, 4A players like O'Hearn or letting Dozier and Solaire just work their stuff out at the plate. They're doing that so they have trade value. So you can trade Solaire or so that they get value out of that huge contract they gave to Dozier. This isn't about competing this year. So they're actually not trying to, you know, bring up guys and, and start start their service clocks and all that stuff. And so really it's it's not just that they lack depth, though they do. It's also that like they don't want to jump the gun on some of these players down in Omaha who they could use to help them later. They don't want to start their service clocks right now. So just run out some 4A player like Kelvin Gutierrez, just run out Ryan O'Hearn and yeah, you're going to lose and it's not going to go well, but you know, that's why this season could be really, really bad. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. We tweet during most games, so you can get all this fresh insight for free by simply following us. While the brave among you were watching the Royals get pounded by the Yankees 8-1 to on Thursday, Mike and I were merely listening to it as we traveled the 209 miles from Greenwood, Missouri to Springdale, Arkansas to watch the Royals AA affiliate, the Northwest Arkansas Naturals. And for this week's spotlight, we thought we'd give it some attention to the Naturals, a team that really holds the future hopes of the Royals on its talented roster. While Omaha has a few pieces that will certainly be impact players on the next competitive Royals team, Jackson Kowar, Daniel Lynch, Maybe Edward Olivares, if Dayton Moore hasn't demoted him to low A at this point for no reason, who knows? Maybe he'll just cut him and send him, you know, packing or have him have him cut the grass or something. Kick him in the uh, plums and give him a bus ticket. Right? <laughs> that's how he's treating Edward Olivares these days. Um, it's really Northwest Arkansas that represents the hope for the future. That's where Bobby Wood Jr., Nick Prado, MJ Melendez are, and they're the best offensive prospects in the system at this point. And alongside the college arms drafted in 2018, they really sit at the center of the team's rebuilding plans. So what Mike and I are going to do is run down a list of the five prospects we saw in our live look at, at the Naturals the other day and tell you what we saw, sort of a live scouting report, and then we'll tell you what we think is the key to their development moving forward. Mike, I'll give you the honor of kicking off with the prospect who is really the focal point of the future for the Royals, Bobby Baseball himself, Bobby Wood Jr. Ooh, thank you. And uh, sadly, I will say, well, first, let me say this. Arvest Park, in, Arvest Park in Springdale is a phenomenal place to see a game. It's the first time you and I have been there. It is great. Okay. And that wasn't just because of $2 beer night. Okay. No, it was um, a great time. Had a blast. It was a great time. Nice park for a minor league place. Uh, we got uh, really, really cheap seats that were like seven rows from the ferry front. It was insane. I could have spit 
on Bobby baseball. Okay. I would never <laughs> do that, but I could, I have. would never do that. Okay? Um, now, unfortunately he wasn't great the day of the game that we went, uh, he went over three. He did have a sack fly, but he did have a fielding error as well. But you're talking about a prospect that is the first legit superstar prospect that the Royals have had in quite a while. At, Since Carlos Beltran, maybe? Ooh, yeah, that might be right. Yeah, maybe Alex right. Gordon was in that talk for mm. a second at double A. Mm. Maybe he was. Um, but I think that quickly waned as he moved on. But but yeah, he's got uh, plus power, plus defense, plus speed. He has brought down his strikeout rate to about 25%, probably a little higher than you really, really want it, but that'll play still. Okay. His walk rate is almost 10%. He br- provides a defensive versatility because he is a plus defender at shortstop already. Uh, he could switch to third for no problem. He could play second, probably no problem. Um, he's got plus plus speed. He he beat out an infield grounder, like a routine grounder the other day. The guy is fast. I don't know if it's plus plus speed, but it's definitely plus speed. Um, so he's very good. A uh, lot of versatility. And probably the thing that is most enticing about him is he has legit raw power. The guy hit a 460-foot opposite field home run uh yesterday or two days ago when he went four for four with a double and uh, two singles he is his iso is over 200 Uh, that's a a measurement for those of you that don't know that's a measurement that measures um power Uh, mark you want to explain that a little bit better it's basically just your slugging percentage minus your batting average so what's a good iso a really good iso is like 200 and he's hitting over that um and so he's he's the kind of guy he's provides defensive versatility, offensive potential, and most importantly for this Royals team, hope. He gives you hope. He gives you hope. And I'm super encouraged by the fact that he's bringing down that strikeout rate. That's important. The game that we saw. He did strike out twice. He was against a good pitcher, though. Yeah. I will say that all these guys we're talking about as hitters were facing a very good pitching prospect for the Arkansas Travelers. Uh, I think he's not numbered. His name is Brandon Williams. He's number nine in the Mariners uh, uh, farm system. They have a good farm system. So nine is pretty decent for their farm system, a left-hander. So the left-handers probably had a little time, more difficulty with them, although they all hit really well. Um, I'll say Bobby Witt Jr. did swing through a couple pitches that a couple fastballs that we you, you would think he would at least make contact with. Maybe he was struggling to see it well. I don't know exactly, but I'm really encouraged by the lowering of the strikeout rate really encouraged by the increase in the walkout rate. And I actually think that those two numbers will only get better as he sees more and more professional pitching. We forget that this guy has only seen professional pitching for what would amount to about half a season, right? With the rookie league he saw in his first year, which is very low level, very uh, raw pitching prospects to double A now, and then some spring training stuff. That's about it, right? And so you know, maybe three quarters of a season worth of professional ABs. And it's only going to get better, I think, because watching him learn from at-bat to at-bat, game to game, it looks like he's really understanding how pitchers are trying to pitch him and how he can best take advantage of that. Great. Uh, I think he has really good uh, hand-eye coordination and really good ability to adjust to certain pitches. So he's going to make a lot of contact 
with pitches on the edges of the strike zone. It's just a matter of making sure he stays away from those pitches outside the zone because pitchers are going to want him to expand his zone as he sort of becomes the focal point of whatever offense he's in, which will always be the case at, for the Royals. But and when was the, when I mean, Carlos Beltran, you probably said it. When was the last time we had a guy that was so good on defense who could legitimately hit the ball out to offense? Probably yeah, Carlos it's, Beltran. It's probably, yeah, maybe, maybe you could say Eric Hosmer. Um, oh, because he, he had was a top notch at first, but at first, but not a, not a, a premium defensive position. Yeah, no, not since Beltron. And so, yeah, very exciting. Love to see his, his development. And it is true development. He's making strides all the time. And I often worry about the Royals development of prospects. And so to see him actually make strides is really nice. The guy I'll talk about is another guy who has Really, you've seen major strides from, and we got a great chance to see him uh, on Thursday, and that's Nick Prado. Uh, he homered in the game that we went to. He went one for four with a home run. He It was great to see that homer, too, because Mike and I were talking early in the game. It looks like a, a book has developed on Prado. It looks like people want to throw him fastballs up in the zone to try and get him to swing underneath them, and he's adjusting all the time. So, uh, that left-handed pitcher Williams threw him a fastball up in the zone from a left-hander and Williams can throw it up there 93-94 and he took it out of the park to dead right field. I mean, just crushed the thing. And so it was great to see him turn around a good fastball up in the strike zone and to have the barrel control to make solid contact with it, adjust your swing, get up there and put it out. We've talked about Hunter Dozier really struggles to get on top of those fastballs up at the zone. It was great to see Nick Prado have the barrel control to get up to the top of the zone and put one out of the ballpark because that's something that, you know, as, a, as somebody who wants to be a power hitter, you're going to have to be able to make solid contact with pitches all throughout the zone. You can't just hit middle, middle fastballs out. You have to be able to make con enough contact with pitches on the edge to, to keep your batting average high enough to really access all of your power. And it was great to see him do that. The thing I noticed is even when he's not getting hits, even when he's not, when he's striking out or something, these are like professional at bats that he's taking. Now you're not seeing a lot of the, some of the stuff that you saw earlier in his professional career where he's coming, swinging at three pitches and walking back, you know, that that's what, that's the depths that he sunk to in 2019 when he was trying to be really aggressive. He just looks like a totally different hitter now. And all I can see that he sort of needs to do is continue the approach that he has now. If I were him, the thing that I would be preaching to him is change nothing, change nothing, because you are just seeing exactly the type of hitter he needs to be. Go to all fields, make solid contact, be patient and take your walks. And you know, you, the power will come. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know, Prado was a very high draft pick for the Royals. He was their first round pick. I don't even remember what year. Uh, 17, 17 and um, had one of the worst seasons you'll ever see in minor league baseball in 2019, but he's a first base prospect who um, is an athletic, somewhat athletic guy. He's not going to be stealing bases or anything, but he plays a good defensive first base. And now, as you said, super mature approach. And we saw it even in spring training, which was good that we got to see some of those games on TV because you saw Nick Prado with a way better approach, uh, a lot more calm approach and the ability to hit doubles to the opposite field. And that was great to see. I agree with you. Wouldn't change a thing. Expect to see him in Omaha, you know, sometime around the all-star break, I would think. Yeah. I'm a little surprised that he hasn't made the jump already. I was telling Mike that I'll be really pissed if we go down there on Thursday and all these guys have been promoted. <laughs> um, so I was glad, I was glad that they were still there when we went to see him, but I'm a little surprised that Prado, 
at least has he's been playing the best of the three who are there like melendez prado and bobby wood jr prado has been playing the best probably so i'm a little surprised that he hasn't gotten the bump because these prospects are so important nobody's going to like hold them back like it's not like ryan o'hearn or ryan mcbroom or whoever else they have playing first base in omaha is blocking a nick prado if nick prado is ready to go to triple a hell out of the way he's going to go to triple a and he's going to play first base that's (laughs) how it's going to go so uh, i'm a little surprised he hasn't been bumped yet but i it's going to happen before too long Uh, i'll talk about uh, a guy that i was excited about when they drafted mj melendez we got to see him catch on uh last thursday and we got to see him hit which is the big thing for him you and you commented on this he caught a very good game we thought he threw a guy out at second he received which was kind of the knock on him by from some people he received the ball really well from uh austin cox he hit a rocket double off the left field uh wall during the game uh, against a tough lefty and and in that uh Mariners or the Travelers, as they're called. Um, he has a low batting average at this point at 253, but he's also been somewhat unlucky with the batting average on ball and balls in play at 258. Um, so some of that's going to be a luck. Some of that will come back. He hit another home run today, I think. Uh, all said, no, I think guys. he hit one today, and I think he hit one yesterday. I think okay, he's got so two and two games left. He, two that, games. That's that's phenomenal. It looks like his swing is more. Um, he's got more barrel control, is what it seems like almost at this yeah. point. He is another guy who in 2019 had one of the worst minor league seasons that you'll see. And so it's good to see him back because defensively, we feel like he's probably a guy that's going to be a major league catcher and do fine there. Offensively is going to be the question. If he can be a both kind of guy and hit some home runs, that is a a huge positive because he'll be coming up at about that time when you see Salvador Perez moving away from catcher and to a first base slash DH role. Not that he couldn't catch some then, but you wouldn't want him to at 34 years old or however old he'll be at that time. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, like, I'm not sure where this team is deep. And I thought to myself, well, they're deep at backup catcher. So, (laughs) you know, I think, I think that's one place where the Royals really got a edge on all the other teams in the league. We got a lot of really good backup catchers in Kansas city. And so yeah, Sebastian Rivero is is a good catcher, a good defensive catcher. He's great. A guy yeah. who looks like he's handled about really well in Omaha. I have I'm higher probably on Rivero than anyone else. I think he can be an everyday major league player eventually. Um but Melendez does have more upside than Rivero because he has so much more power than Rivero. And so if Melendez can be uh, an above average catcher, even a good catcher, uh then I think, you know, he they're not going to let him Rivero block Melendez. Probably they're going to probably try and find a way to get Rivero and Melendez in the same on the same team in the same lineup if they have to, uh, where the, the the like switch off DHing and catching and that sort of thing. They've done this in the past actually. Uh, in Wilmington, they both played on the same ro- team and the same roster, and they would just switch back and forth DHing and playing catcher every once in a while. I think Melendez might be played third base. He's actually pretty athletic. For a catcher, he can run a little bit, um, and so maybe there's a future where he does something something other than catch. I doubt it, but maybe there is, and maybe there's a future where he DHs some while Sal DHs some, and they all catch together. I don't know, kumbaya, some sort of thing. I just big, know that right big now, circle of catchers. Yeah, maybe <laughs> we could feel the team of like 13 catchers. How does that sound? Um, <laughs> and this goes back to that conversation I've had so many times about like, why do you only draft shortstops and catchers? But I think Melendez, the fact that his walk rate has gone up, the fact that his strikeout rate has gone so far down, he was striking out at like 30 some percent, 35 percent, 
in 2019. 35%. For those of you who don't know, anything above 25 is high. If you're above 30, you're unplayable in Major League Baseball. His strikeout rate is down to like, what is it, 16% or something like that right now? It's pretty low. And so to take that huge of a drop is really, really remarkable. And that's what's going to keep him relevant as a prospect. That's what's going to keep him moving forward in the system. So it's really good to see him get those numbers down and to find a lot more success hitting balls on the edges of the strike zone. The guy, the third guy I'll talk about is another hitter, a left, a left-handed hitter, a guy I love personally. His name is Rudy Martin. And I brought him up before on the podcast, but we got to see just the total Rudy Martin experience while we were in Arkansas on Thursday. He had a walk. Rudy Martin walks all the time. He had a hit. He actually crushed a double off this left-hander right into the uh, right, right center, center field, field gap. gap yeah. yeah, it was great. He put, put a charge into it. And then he also stole a base. That's the full Rudy Martin experience. So it was great to see that. He also struck out once, also somewhat part of the Rudy Martin experience. And so for him, the question really is, what's that strikeout rate going to be like? What's his swing and miss? Because he's got a little too much of it. And you know, if he, you're, if you don't hit for a ton of power, like he doesn't, even though he can, he has some power, he, he can put a ball out every now and again, and he's just hits the ball pretty hard. He doesn't have enough that he can have really high strikeout rates, but he does have a pretty high strikeout rate. He'll strike out in the 20, 25% range. That's a little high for a guy of his profile. So he either needs to bring that down or if he's going to strike out that much, he needs to keep hitting the ball with the same batted ball profile that he is now and the same exit velocity. Right now, he's in a lot of line drives and with good exit velocity. If he keeps doing that, he can make that 20% strikeout rate work, but it's going to be a sort of a, a tightrope for him, a fine line that he has to walk. He also has to keep the walk rate really high. And so those are going to be important things for him moving forward. A guy who I think his floor is a fourth outfielder in the major leagues because he covers a ton of ground in the outfield. He has a really good arm. I think he could definitely be a fourth outfielder in the major leagues. If he stays healthy, which has been an issue for him in the past, and he keeps that batted ball profile and that exit velocity and the walks high, I think he could be maybe at his ceiling, his 90th percentile, an everyday major league center fielder. And what a boon to the team that would be. I know I'm higher on Rudy Martin than a lot of guys. I think the likelihood is fourth outfielder is his the best he ever does, but I would love to see him get a chance to play in the major league someday and prove, hey, maybe you can be an everyday major league player. Yeah, it was good to see him. The, the exciting thing for me was he looked like he can play uh, a very competent outfield at any outfield position. Uh, he was playing right field the night that we saw him, but he was tracking balls really well. He showed a strong arm. Yeah, I, I, I think if he gets a chance to play, I don't know that he's an everyday center fielder. I'm not quite as high on him as you are, but uh, even as a fourth outfielder, I think he makes an excellent fourth outfielder uh, down the line for the Royals. A cheap, controllable fourth outfielder is something that a winning team needs. Um, okay, enough with the Rudy Martin fan fest here. Let's talk about <laughs> Austin Cox. Uh, the starting pitcher for the Naturals the night that we went was Austin Cox. And for those of you who don't, don't know who he is, he's a big lefty drafted out of Mercer University in Georgia in that 2018 class. Um, he sat, sits about right now, he sits about 92, 93 with his fastball. Um, his big pitch is his curveball, he throws a really good curveball but he doesn't really have much of a third pitch developed yet. Mark said he thought he saw a changeup uh, from Austin Cox. I think I saw one. Um, one. And that's, and he needs to be working on developing a third pitch as of right now. Um, He was okay that night. 
he's only had uh, that was his fifth game started this year because he was coming off off of injury, um, but he was okay. He gave up two earned runs. Um, was was good with the curveball. It was his best pitch by far that night. But the fastball did get hit around a little bit uh, that night. For me, I think the things he needs to work on are probably command of that fastball, developing a third pitch, and I'm going to say it. He needs to probably gain a little bit of velocity with that fastball as well uh, as he moves through the system um, in order to be somebody who sticks out as probably a back-end starter. Or if, if you move him to the bullpen, he probably – if he gets an uptick in velocity, he could be a good bullpen arm as well. Yeah, I'm actually think he'd be fine staying 92, 93 with his fastball. But you're right that it's going to have to be better command if he's going to live at 92, 93. He's going to have to be on the edges. That curveball is so good and really good. What he needs to maybe do is consider pitch mix too, especially when he gets a third pitch because his fastball is just not going to be a dominant one unless he gets unless he gets that uptick in velocity because. It's just not dominant. You could see it wasn't a coincidence that every time he threw the fastball or whenever he got hit, it was almost always off the fastball. And so the curveball was he was throwing it for strikes in the zone. He was taking it out of the zone and getting swings and misses. That's really a major league ready pitch, I think. But it's the other stuff that really needs to develop around it. Get that changeup going. Find that third pitch. And if it becomes, you know, even major league average, then I think you have somebody who could be back end of the rotation kind of guy. I don't see a ton of value out of the bullpen from a guy like him because his fastball is not going to be anything special, probably, unless he develops way better command of it. But it was good to see him go out, get a little success. Uh, I think uh, give him a full season worth of working on that third pitch, maybe even an offseason, and maybe he comes out next season looking more like a more complete pitcher than he does right now. The Royals are in the middle of a long stretch without any days off. That continues with a four-game set against the Boston Red Sox before they head for a three-game series against the Twins. That's how they come back home uh, for the Twins series. They'll play all seven days this week, which means you can watch a game every single night. I'm not sure that that's a good thing. I'm not sure that people want to watch this team every single night. Yeah, what are you, some but sort Mike, of masochist? I know. that's what I, was, well, I must be because I watch Royals baseball. <laughs> um, Mike, tells us, Mike, tell us about the Red Sox series. Well, uh, the Red Sox are 47 and 31. They're first in the AL East, uh, a half game ahead of the Rays. We actually just took a series from the Red Sox not that long ago. And oh, we saw, it seems like forever it ago. It does seem like a long time ago. And we saw three of the four pitchers that we're going to see here in this series. So that can sometimes be a help. Uh, we're going to kick it off likely with Danny Duffy versus Garrett Richards. I wouldn't expect to see Duffy for an extremely long time in that game, um, but he's going to start the game, it looks like. Richards is a 33-year-old right-hander out of Oklahoma. He's kind of a get-you-by guy, a keep-you-in-a-game guy, which a lot of guys on their staff are. Uh, fastball at 94, he throws that a lot, over 50%. Slider, curveball guy as well. Um, he's not a guy who's likely to no-hit you, but he will keep you in games. Uh, then we'll have – he's the only one we did not see in that last series. We'll have uh, Brad Keller, hopefully for a long time, <laughs> in this game against Nick Pavetta. <laughs> um, the Royals beat Pavetta the last time they saw him. Uh, 28-year-old right-hander out of New Mexico Junior College. Uh, he's got a 4.0 ERA at this point, uh, mostly a fastball, more than 50% at about 95. He's a slider curveball guy as well. He gave up three runs to the Royals last uh, time we saw him in five innings. Uh, he ended up taking the loss in that game, though he pitched pretty well. Then we got Mike Miner versus uh, Martin Perez, a 30-year-old left-hander. He's one of the better uh, guys on the staff at this point. 
He's got a five pitch mix. He is a soft tossing lefty. Okay. Which can always give the Royals trouble. And so we'll see how they, they were able to beat him last time, but who knows when this one comes up. And then in the last game, we don't have a starter yet for the Royals, um, but they'll be going at, we'll be going against Nathan uh, Eovaldi. Hard-throwing right-hander came up through the Yankees system. He's got a low ERA, 3.67. He's one of their better guys. He'll top out at about 97, 98 with the fastball, and he's got a curveball, cutter, slider, and a split finger that he likes to use to strike guys out. Um, he's a strikeout-style pitcher, um, so we'll see how the Royals' uh, anemic offense can handle him. Probably not well, but hey, cross your fingers. You cross never know. Fingers. Hey, we took with this, this team from them last time. I know. That's my thing is with this team, you actually never know what they're and going to do. And we were really close to winning that Yankees series. So It seems like darkness all the time right now, but the Royals can come out and beat a good team. It has happened in the past, right? Yeah. And so we'll see if they can take three or four from that uh, Red Sox series. After the Red Sox, they'll come back home, get a little home cooking, sleep in their own beds, and face the Twins who are 33 and 44. On the rundown, it says 33 and 34. They wish. Um, <laughs> I think they're 33 and 44, or maybe 43. No, no, 43. no, I think it's 33. Yeah, they're 33 and 43, tied for last in the AL Central with the Royals. I'm calling this the battle for the basement. Okay. We're, we're, you we're live fighting in a basement. <laughs> I live in a basement. I know all about basements, people. I'm fighting off rats down here in Mike's basement. But yeah, so we're going to see who's the worst team in the AL Central. <laughs> That's such a weird thing to say. Um, we don't have any probables for this game. We can't even predict the Royals rotation hours in advance, let alone days in advance. Um, but the Minnesota Twins are on a little bit of a hot streak. They've won seven of their last 10. They're starting to look better offensively, thanks in part to the emergence of one of their outfield prospects, a guy named Trevor Larnark, who has a 119 OPS plus in 40 games for them. He's having a pretty good year so far this year. And his emergence has helped because they've lost... Uh, you know, they don't have Brian, Byron Buxton. They've lost a couple of guys offensively, and they have a couple of guys struggling offensively. On the pitching side, a guy named Bailey Ober, who the Royals saw in maybe his first or second start ever of the year it was ever. His first. I think it was his first. It might have been his first. Baseball. Yeah. Uh, uh, they saw him last time, and he pl- pitched pretty well against them. He's he's given them a couple of good outings, helping them stabilize a, a rotation that is eh, real hit and miss, and also a little injured right now, too. And so. The Twins, not a great team, dealt with a lot of injuries like the Royals. They're very similar to the Royals. Uh, They're underperforming expectations, although I guess this is roughly what people expected from the Royals. Um, But injuries have really uh, played a part in hurting their team as well. Yeah, I think the the Twins are probably a better offensive profile overall than the Royals are. Uh, But starting pitching bullpen problems, you know. Those of plague the twins, a, su- a superstar who can't stay healthy, a superstar who can't stay healthy, and Byron Buxton, yeah, uh, and actually Buxton and Mondesi profile as very similar players at two different, defensive almost positions. the same guy. Yeah, so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Rough. we feel Sorry, your pain, Twins Minnesota. fans. Sorry, Twins fans. We'll end this week with the same way we end every week with our just a bit outside segment. It's a segment where we talk about something that is interesting to us outside of the world of baseball, Mike. What are you thinking about outside the world of baseball this week? Drinking. Uh, it's what I'm like. Every other Royals about. fan, we're thinking about drinking right yeah, that's now. That's right. Uh, I'm thinking about neighborhood bars, actually. So I live in Greenwood, Missouri, just south of Lee Summit. And we don't have a lot of businesses in this town, in the town of Greenwood. But just outside of Greenwood, uh, in Lee Summit, there, I discovered a place that I'm really liking a lot. It's called Wally's. It's in Raintree, which is a part of Lee Summit. Um, 
but I I like the fabric and the idea of a neighborhood bar. If you get the right mix, we are from a small town in Maryville, Missouri. It's a college town. There are lots of bars, but there's one that I like the best up there called the pub owned by a good friend of ours uh, named Jeff Zeller. Uh, and, and when I go in there, I feel like, Hey, this is comfortable. I like it here. I can drink here. I can watch sports here. That's what Wally's is becoming for me. And it makes me happy and excited to have a place like that. They also serve very good food, which I like that too. Um, but yeah, find your local neighborhood bar. Don't go to Chili's or I know a guy, he goes to Buffalo wild wings all the time. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You want to eat chicken? nuggets? Go eat chicken nuggets somewhere else. Uh, no. Go find a place that's locally owned in your neighborhood and, uh, you know, have a drink or two there. Not too many. Okay. And then don't turn responsibly. Don't Tony La Russa it up and drive home. Uh, yeah. But, you know, responsible number. And then, uh, yeah, help them out. I, l- I love the history of like tavern culture in America. And I'd love if we get get it going. Like, there are some other co- other countries where like, despite the fact that we've modernized, there's still like, there still is a thing like the neighborhood pub, the neighborhood bar, yeah, you Greece, know, the neighborhood tavern, very much like that, where mm-hmm. it still plays a, a, a role in sort of a collective place for people to gather and, and watch sports together, or just talk about the issues of the day. You know, that still exists in other countries. I feel like America has spread out so much that it's tough to have those kind of local neighborhood places. But if you do have a chance to have one, take advantage people. Those are awesome. And this is coming from a guy who doesn't even drink alcohol. I would just go and hang out at one if I could. Uh, plus, I love bar food. So um, I'm going to talk about something that's less positive, and that's <laughs> car dealers. I'm sorry if you're a car dealer and you think you're a good person. I'm not talking to you here, but I had to buy a car recently, and I had the experience that lots of people have when they go to buy a car. I got jerked around by a bunch of car dealers who just didn't know what the hell they were doing, I guess, or maybe they do know what they're doing. And this is like a playbook that works 99% of the time, but it's just super annoying to sort of be misled constantly and constantly come back to with like, no, we can't give you the number you say you want, but we'll give you this number. And then uh, and they're like, okay, then I'm leaving. And they're like, well, maybe we can't give you a better number. Hold on. We'll check. And so like, I'll tell you about this experience just real quick. I go to buy a car. I want this process to go efficiently. I tell them beforehand, I don't want to be there for a long time. I want you to just either give me the price or say, no, you can't give me the price and then I'll leave, you know? And so we're like going back and forth. They keep running the playbook on me. One guy goes to get another guy, brings him in. He goes to get another girl. They bring her in and they go get somebody else. We'll go talk to the general manager, bring somebody else and all this garbage. That's just complete bullshit. And they keep putting a thing in front of me like, okay, if I can get you this and this, will you sign this saying that you'd take the car? I'm like, can I sign that shit? And they're like, oh, why not? This is so weird that you won't sign this thing. It's like, no, it's that. It's weird that you're asking me to sign this thing. And so like, I just, I was getting very frustrated with it. And so I'm like, fine, you can't give me the price that I want. I'll just leave. No, no hard feelings. No, nothing. Like if I go to a grocery store and they're selling bread for more than I want to pay for it, I don't get the bread. It's not like a huge deal, right? Like, do you get mad at the grocery store? No, you don't. I don't get mad at the grocery store, (laughs) but I just like, I get mad if they're wasting my time is what I do. And that's what they were doing. And so I, I would, I started to leave and they, they literally stopped me in the lobby and they're like, well, let me see what we could do for you. I'm like, you stopped me in the lobby. I pull a walkout and you stop me in the lobby. You have lost all credibility in Bush my mind, League. Right? Like, this is Bush League. This is the amateur hour. Come on, guys. <laughs> like, and then uh, to give car dealers some props, because you're not all like this. I then went to a different dealership, had a totally different experience, handled everything through text messages and over the phone. The price that they said that they would give me is the price that they did give me. When I got to the dealership, it was 30 minutes of you know, just filling out paperwork, signing stuff, getting the car and leaving. 
It was excellent. Um, but if a car dealer is jerking you around and bringing in multiple people and saying, I'm going to run this by my general manager, screw that noise. Don't listen to them. Go find somebody who will make this process efficient, easy, and give you the price that the car is actually worth. The, the one thing that was good for us, it provided plenty of comedy for us after. Oh, uh, oh hilarious. We laughed. We laughed. It was hilarious. Good <laughs> but anyway, uh, I feel like this, the recently the Royals are playing like a car dealer. Like the experience <laughs> of going to a car dealership is the same as the experience of watching Royals baseball. Exactly. And so there's you're a there forever. There. And when you're done, you need a shower. You feel very dis- <laughs> you need a shower. <laughs> you know, that's what I feel like a Royals baseball uh, game and going to a car dealership. You're there forever. You don't know why. And afterward, you need a shower. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh. Uh, Watch Royals baseball. Keep tuning into Royals, Royals Weekly. We're gonna have fun doing it. No matter no matter if they're losing, we're having fun. So yeah. Thank you for listening. Subscribe, rate, and review. Enjoy yourself. Love one another. And uh, don't go to any car dealerships. <laughs>